So last week, uh, we were in week two of our series called Songs of Advent. And the first week, we looked at Zechariah and his song of hope. And then we looked at his wife's song last week, Elizabeth, and her song was a song of love. And if you're with us, if you, you caught up on the podcast, if you're out of town, you know that though Elizabeth began to speak about love, that joy was intimately connected to what she was singing, to what she was saying. And that's because love and joy go hand in hand. See, joy is really a response to love. And so Elizabeth is singing this song as she opens her door and unexpectedly she finds a 14-year-old or so, Mary, who she's related to, but she was not expecting to have visited her because she's 70 miles away in the hills of Jerusalem and Mary is all the way in Nazareth. But for some reason, Mary has followed what we believe would be God's leading to Elizabeth's doorstep. And as she opens her, the door and she sees Mary, who really is not on the same level as her culturally. Mary is ins insignificant as compared to Elizabeth, who is the wife of a priest. She is overcome with joy because not only is she seeing her relative, but she is face-to-face -face with the child that Mary is carrying, which is the son of the Most High. It is Messiah, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And it creates in Elizabeth this eruption of joy and this emphasis on the fact that she is understanding in that moment that she is loved by God because she's opened her door and, and the child that is God in the flesh is there in, in Mary's stomach. And she is encountering uniquely God's presence and, and his love. And we spoke about last week in, in regards to joy um, that we oftentimes think that we can manufacture joy. But we can't manufacture joy. We can manufacture happiness. We can create experiences and moments, and we can do certain things that we know will generate happiness in us, but that's fleeting. Joy cannot be manufactured because joy is your soul's disposition. You cannot create it for yourself. You have to experience it. And Mary begins to sing about how she's experiencing joy in response to God's love. And so immediately after this encounter, as Elizabeth is singing this song and she says, blessed are you, Mary, but you're really blessed because the child that you're carrying. And then she, she looks at really all of us and everyone in the room and everyone that's reading this text some 2,000 years later. And she says, if you're like Mary, if you're like me, if you trust in faith in the one that Mary is carrying, Jesus Christ, you're going to be blessed as well. You're going to experience joy. You're going to have this overwhelming sensation and feeling and experience like I'm having. So she says all of this, and then it's Mary's turn. So we pick up immediately after Elizabeth's song, and then Mary says it's her time to sing. And she sings a song. It's a very famous song. It's called the Magnificat. And here's what she says starting in verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his ser servant. See, she doesn't start out and say, my soul erupts for joy because, Elizabeth, you have just said all of these really nice things about me, and I feel blessed, and I feel encouraged, and I feel happy, and I feel overwhelmed with joy because you're telling me all these great things, and I'm blessed, and all these. She says, my soul, the deepest part of me, all that I am, it erupts to magnify the Lord, to make God great. And then my spirit, not just the cerebral part of me, but that emotional and spiritual part of who I am is rejoicing in God. 
And she lets us know why she begins to erupt with this song of joy. Why is she singing? Why is she magnifying the Lord? Why is the deepest part of her now going to sing this song about how great God is and who he is and and the incredible nature of his love? And she says, because God is her savior. She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And you can feel it in this song. As we read through it, as you even read the very intro of this song, you can feel the joy in Mary's voice. I mean, this is a full band type of song. This is where, like, you're singing too loud. It's a little awkward. You're singing so loud type of song, right? This is maybe you're clapping, maybe you're dancing, possibly even double hand raised type of song. Like, that's what's happening here. Some of you are like, I don't raise my hands. Well, in this song, you'd be like, you'd be going right up to the top, right? This is what she's singing is Oh, she's overcome with joy, and when you read it, you have to experience that. You have to feel that. What she's going to begin to say is that when you believe and when you understand what she believes and what she's experienced, that you too will experience a joy that cannot be manufactured, a joy that will cause you to sing a little too loud, it's awkward, cause you to maybe raise both hands, cause you to dance or to move, because it's profound, She says that she's singing because God is her savior. You see, a savior is someone who comes to rescue another person in danger, right? This is the basis of every superhero movie. A savior shows up on the scene, someone is in danger, and then what does the savior do? The savior takes whatever steps are necessary to save the individual or to save the group of people from whatever situation they're in. It's very important to understand that because you cannot be a savior from a distance, You cannot save someone from a distance. In order to be a savior, you have to arrive on the scene. You have to to break through into the experience of those that are in danger and then take the steps necessary to pull them out of danger to safety. And so Mary here is saying that she is rejoicing in her spirit and her soul because God is her savior. What is she saying? She's saying that God has broken through. This is what we celebrate in Christmas, the incarnation, that God broke through into our scene. He stepped into our world. He clothed himself with flesh. As we talked about last week, he laid aside his royalty, royalty and all the things that he could claim, all of his power, and he comes down and he's born to Mary and Joseph in a stable or an inn or a cave And he's completely overlooked culturally. He arrives on the scene humbly, but he comes as a savior to do what? To take the steps necessary to save his people, all those that would trust in him, from danger. See, Jesus arrives on the scene as savior in Christmas, and then we celebrate in Easter the steps necessary to save us, right? He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was put in the grave for three days, but he doesn't stay in the grave. He comes forth resurrected offering life to everyone that believes in him in faith. And Mary is saying, as she's carrying God in the flesh in her belly, that God has arrived on the scene, that the Savior has come, Emmanuel, God with us, and she's overcome with dumbfounded joy. And this is what happens. And you know this. If you're here and you've experienced God breakthrough into your life, arrive on the scene, right? For Mary, is a very physical way that God broke through into the scene, onto her scene, But for all of us, the promise is that God will break through into your life in a very spiritual and miraculous and special and unique way. And when he does, 
the result is joy. You think to yourself, like Mary says here, as she begins to speak about how she's overcome with joy that God is her savior. And then she says that he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You see, you can feel the joy in her voice. And as she's, she's overcome with joy that God has come to save her, that God has come to rescue her, that God has broken through in a very literal and physical way in her life, she's saying, who am I? that God would, would come to me, that God would break into my life, that I would be the mother of the Son of God. And in a similar response, this is your response and my response as well, when God breaks through into the scene of our life, you begin to think to yourself, I mean, who am I that God would break through to me, that he would love me, that he would save me, that he would rescue me? I don't feel worthy. I don't feel deserving. I don't feel like I've earned it. Have you asked yourself that? Have you felt like that? Mary's saying the same thing here, and she fleshes this out in her song. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This isn't arrogance. She isn't like, yeah, I'm the mother of the son of God. Everyone's going to call me blessed just like you did, Elizabeth. Keep it coming. Keep it. You know, she's not doing that here. She's saying, people are going to call me blessed because I'm the mother of Jesus Christ. But who am I? I'm nobody, and yet God has looked upon me with favor. And she says, for behold, he's done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You have to really understand what Mary is feeling here, right? As she's overcome with joy and she's reflecting on who she is and why she would be granted this privilege that God would break through into her life. She's saying that people are going to call me blessed. People are going to esteem me. They're going to honor me because of what has been given to me. But, I mean, I'm a 14-year-old girl from a town that doesn't matter. I'm poor. Nobody knows me. And I'm actually in, in the midst of a scandal right now because nobody believes that God has given me a child. They believe that I've broken every religious and cultural norm. I've been outcasted. And yet she's sensing amidst all of that. I mean, she's in a difficult period of time in her life right now. As surely her friends and maybe even some family members are are stiff-arming her and rejecting her because she's not married yet and she's pregnant. And that's not okay in this culture. And she's yet in this moment overcome with joy and saying, who am I that at one day and at one time, just like you've just done, Elizabeth, people are going to call me blessed. I don't deserve it. And then she says in verse 50, and his mercy, right, she's recounting God's mercy to her and she says, this mercy that I'm experiencing right now is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She's looking at you and she's looking at me as she sings her song and she's saying, listen, if you fear God, does not fear like you're scared of God, like he's gonna judge you, like he's gonna punish you, but fear as in revere God. So if you revere God, if you believe in God, if you trust in God, if you are humbly positioned before God because you know who he is and you know who you are, and you know that you do not deserve what God has given, you don't deserve the relationship that you have with God, when you revere God, she says that you will come to experience his mercy. See, this is the pattern that is repeated all throughout history, right? Here's a pattern. God arrives on the scene of your life. He breaks through into your experience. You encounter God's love and his presence and his mercy. And you're overcome with joy. 
dumbfounded, doesn't make sense joy, and then you begin to, to think through the fact that you are blessed because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and your relationship with God, but then you begin to think to yourself, I haven't done anything to earn this. What, I mean, what, who am I? And it humbles you. And the last result of this pattern, when God breaks through and it causes joy in you, and then you begin to ask, who am I? And it humbles you. You begin to then declare to others the mercy of God. I mean, God is merciful. He is accessible. He is open to anybody. You begin to say this. You begin to talk about this. You begin to pray this. And this is the pattern that is repeated all throughout history because what happens when God breaks through into your life is there's a revolution in your soul, a revolution of joy, right? Joy is something we all want. We really desire joy. We want to manufacture it. We want to figure out how to have it. We want it not only internally, but we want it externally. Like we can tell Mary is experiencing here. It is externally being broadcasted in her song that joy is deep within her soul and her spirit. And we want to experience that as well. Joy is something that we seek in everything that we do, right? We seek after love, romantic love, love and friendship, because we want to experience joy. We work hard in our job and we strive and we grind. Why? Because we want to experience joy. We plan vacations and we think about every little thing that we're going to do on the vacation. Why? Because we want to experience joy. We eat out at nice restaurants, not simply because we just need to put food in our belly, but because we want to experience the joy of good food and how that makes us feel. We we go to events this weekend for Art Basel because we want to experience joy. And many of you just walked away confused. You're like, that's a white painting with a black dot. I'm, I'm sure it's great. At, at one exhibit, I saw a, a bowl with pasta in it, and that was cool. Don't know why, but I felt it. And we want to experience joy. Every decision in some way in our life is motivated by a desire to find joy. But life is complicated, and we are complicated, and it's difficult. And see, what life really feels like when we begin to analyze it, it's like we're canoeing a river. This is the journey of life. And so we're canoeing, we're paddling the river, and we're in this moment. Maybe you're here right now, and you're feeling blessed, and you're thanking God for it because you're in the peaceful part of the river, right? You're canoeing down the river. You're thinking to yourself, look at the beautiful trees. You're taking in all the surroundings, it's wonderful. You're, you're, you're happy. Then you take a right turn on the river, and you realize now you're going upstream, right? And you're paddling upstream, and you're exhausted, and you're tired, and you're stressed, and you're anxious, and you feel like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not making any progress. And then all of a sudden, as you're paddling upstream, and as you're striving, and as you're working, you take another turn, and you think, surely it can't get any harder than that. And when you get around the next corner, what happens? There's rapids. Right? And as you're paddling on the rapids, you're, you're trying to avoid obstacles, you're nicking some, you're running over others, it's, it's causing all types of fear, all types of anxiety in your life, and then after the end of the rapids, you get back to the calm water. You're like, okay. And then as you begin to paddling, the same thing happens again, it's a cycle. And we're always trying to get back to the calm water where we can be happy and we can relax and we can take in everything. And so we're striving and we're working for what feels like two-thirds of our life to get through the upstream, to get through the rapids and the obstacles so we can get back to the calm water. And then we begin to analyze our life. We say, life kind of feels like a lazy river. Like I'm just going around in a circle, the same pattern over and over and over again. 
And we begin to, to seek and to search out ways to find joy because we, we understand and we believe, every single one of us here knows that we're going to hit rough water. That, that's going to happen. We're going to run into rapids. We're going to paddle upstream. It's just a part of life. And so we begin to ask ourselves questions like, how do I navigate the rough waters? How do I find joy when I'm in the rough water, when I'm paddling upstream? So I Googled it because I wanted to give you guys some insight here. Here are some of the repeated ideas. Of, here's what you need to do, okay? If you're struggling with joy, if you're in the rough waters, you're paddling upstream, you feel like you're going nowhere, you're running into obstacles, there's a couple of suggestions. The first one is laugh, right? The second one is start and end your day with a positive thing. Think something positive, start and end the day. The third thing is be forgiving. The fourth thing is do not allow anger to rule you. And the fifth thing that was repeated in many sites was think of something that makes you smile. So there's nothing wrong with these things. But it's not that easy, right? When you're paddling upstream, when you're avoiding obstacles, when you're in the difficulty, you're not going to just like say to yourself, I'm just going to laugh about it. I'm just not going to be angry. I'm just going to smile and be positive and think about the thing that makes me happy, and it's all going to go away. It's not that easy, right? It's much more difficult than that. And so the, the suggestion from one uh, website that I read, it's for a prominent newspaper, they said, listen, if those things don't work, here are some certain actions you can take. If you take these actions, you do these things, you're going to produce joy in your life. Here's the first one. Turn off the TV. You're like, that makes me angry. So I don't understand. The third thing is go out in nature. And now you're thinking, I'm afraid of alligators. So what do I do there, you know? The third one is sing out loud. You're like, listen, when I sing out loud, even in the shower, I'm mad at myself. So that's probably not going to happen. The, th the fourth one is to skip. This is going to be weird for you and everyone else. So I would suggest avoiding this one. Uh, the next one, I like this one. This is, will be very interesting if you begin to apply this, is uh, dress up in costumes. Can you imagine that text, right? You're texting your friends. You're like, listen, I've had a hard week. I'm really running into a bunch of obstacles. L let's dress up again, go to dinner. I'm going to be SpongeBob this time. What are you going to be? You know, like. And then the, this one actually works was eat a cupcake. This actually always works, you know? You're having a heart, just eat a cupcake, it's gonna work. Maybe eventually it won't, but it feels good in the moment. The last suggestion from this website was actually this, okay? This is kind of like, if none of these things work, if you don't turn the TV off, it doesn't work, you, you can't go into nature, you're not gonna dress up like SpongeBob, eating the cupcake, you know, you're not gonna sing, skipping's weird, you think, whatever. If none of these things are gonna work, the last resort on the website is this, give it to God. And interesting. It's like if none of these things work that we think will work, I mean, I guess just give it to God. That is the answer, actually. How do you navigate the rough waters? How do you find joy in the midst of the things that you're going through that are difficult and causing anxiety and fear and stress? You give it to God. But even when we say that, you're thinking to yourself this, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, give it to God. That seems very ambiguous. And Mary here is going to sing to us the answer. And here's what she's going to say. She's going to say that if you want to experience joy like I'm experiencing in the midst of struggle, she's not in an easy time in her life right now. She's outcasted. She's struggling. She's saying you have to come to experience the presence of God. And when you experience the presence of God, you experience his nature. And when you experience God's nature, that's where you find joy. 
And so she says in, in verse 51, he, God, has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She begins to sing this song about the nature of God, of who, she, who God is. She's saying, listen, when you come to encounter the presence of God, here's one of the aspects of God that you're going to begin to encounter, and that's the strength, that God is a mighty creator. He's the creator of all things, and he is strong, and he is powerful, and he is in control. And she is experiencing that firsthand because she's a virgin and she's pregnant. She knows that God is in control of everything. She knows that God is strong. And she's saying, as she sings, she's saying, listen, look around. Look what God has created and the beauty uh, that his creation is and all the things that he's doing. And then she's saying, look within as well. And notice how he's preserving your life and how he's carrying you down the river. It's not a lazy river. He's actually moving you down the river. You may be in difficult patches, but he's carrying you through. Because she says here that, that it's God's strong arm. And this is constantly used in the Old Testament to refer to creation and the preservation of God's people. So she's wanting you to begin to look at God's nature by looking at his creation and then looking at the circumstances of your life and seeing how God is carrying you through. She says something very interesting here, though. She says that he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You see, what she's saying here is that God, who is creator, is the author of all things, and therefore he is the author and the source of joy, that very thing that we want. And if you are prideful and arrogant to believe that that's not true, that it's not found in God, that you can manufacture it on your own, that you can find it on your own, that you don't need to give it to God, you don't need to encounter his presence, you don't need to follow after him and submit to him, then she says here, that your heart's gonna be scattered. Isn't this true, right? If you begin to think to yourself, no, I'm not gonna find joy in the presence of God and surrendering to God and trusting and following after God. Is your heart not scattered? Because what happens is you begin to think to yourself, you know what, I'm gonna manufacture joy on my own. And so you begin to look at your career and you're like, I'm gonna find it in my career. And there's sure there are moments of happiness, but is it really a source of joy, like deep soul, spiritual joy. Think to yourself, okay, well, if my career doesn't work, then maybe I'm gonna try romance. If romance doesn't work, I'm gonna try this amount of money in my bank account. If that doesn't work, I'm gonna try my reputation. If that doesn't work, I'm gonna try to prove my, my doubters and my haters wrong. Begin to think of all these things that we're gonna do that, to, to kind of create and generate joy in our life, and then when they don't work, we begin to think of ourselves, listen, okay, I gotta figure out how to preserve my life because it's up to me to make my life comfortable, to make my life last, to make it mean something. Your heart begins to be scattered. You think to yourself, well, well maybe I can freeze myself and then in the future they're gonna wake me up from my frost, right? You think to yourself, okay, I, I, got, I have to reach this amount of money in my life because once I reach this amount of money, I'll be comfortable, I'll be safe, I'll be happy, I'll be full of joy. I have to have this kind of diet and eat this way so I can extend my life to this level and preserve it. We begin to be scattered. And Mary is saying that if you feel like that, if you think like that, if you do not believe in the fact that if you come and encounter the presence of God in his nature, there you find joy and you submit humbly to him and you follow after him, 
then you're gonna be scattered and you're gonna be going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, experiencing a little bit of happiness here or there along the way, but not experiencing joy. But if you're humble and if you submit to God and if you come to encounter his presence, you, like Mary, will find joy. You will be filled with joy. And she continues on and she says in verse 53 that he, God, he has filled the hungry with good things. So are you hungry? Are you thirsting? Is your, is your soul desirous of joy and of filling and not feeling empty anymore? She's saying if, if you are encountering God's nature and his presence, then you're going to be filled with good things. But the rich, meaning those people that think they have it all, they don't need anyone else. I've earned it. I've deserved it. I've created it for myself. I don't need God. They'll be sent away empty. Though they believe they have a lot, they're going to feel like they have nothing in their soul. Mary is saying that God isn't only a creator and that he's mighty and strong, but he's also loving and he's a servant. Look what she says in verse 54 and 55. She says that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She's saying here that God is not only strong, and he's not only powerful, and he's not only in control as he moves you through the waters of your life. He's not only the creator and the author of joy, and he is therefore the one who possesses all joy. And so if you want to find joy, come to him. But she's saying that God is also merciful. He's loving He gives joy. He is an open invitation for you to come and find it within him, in your relationship with him, as you follow after him, as you paddle towards him. She's saying that he has been this way. This is his nature all the way back in the beginning, all the way back to Abraham. And he will continue to be this way, faithful and full of joy. You see, God's nature is faithfulness and mercy and joy and strength, to name a few things. And so if you are searching for and you're looking for those things, if you want to find joy, then you have to go to the one who possesses it, the one who created it, where it is, which is in Christ and relationship with God. So how do I find joy as I'm navigating the rough waters of life? Well, you encounter God's presence. It's how you give it to God. You actually humbly submit to him and you seek to encounter who he is because when you encounter who he is, you encounter his nature and his nature is joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us that. It says, David speaking, he says, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is a fullness of what? Joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, David writes this psalm, and he is in a difficult period of time in his life, and he is looking for wisdom. He's asking God to give him guidance as he's beginning to search out which path he's going to take. I mean, many of us are there, right? You're asking yourself, God, what path do you want me to take? Where do you want me to go? And David is singing this song here in Psalm 16, and he says, God, you're going to make known to me the paths of life. I know you're going to make known to me the paths of life. You always do. You're in control. You're strong. You're mighty. And then he reminds his soul and reminds himself and he makes a declaration. He says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In this encounter, in this relationship that I have with you, God, I'm going to find what my heart wants more than anything, which is joy. So I was thinking about this throughout the week as I was reading 
through Mary's song, and I was reading through David's song here in Psalm 16. In the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the rough waters, avoiding the obstacles, paddling upstream, when you're exhausted, when you're tired, where do you and where do I go to for joy? What, what is that first thing I think I need to have or I need to find or I need to do that's going to produce joy in me? Because Mary is singing a song over me and you, and so is David, and so is God. And this is the song. Run to God's presence, and when you run to God's presence, you're going to experience a joy revolution in your soul. So even when I said that, I know that many of us were thinking, <laughs> Carter, it can't be that easy. It's way too simple. Like, I, okay, I just give it to God. I just encounter his presence. And there's going to be a revolution of joy in my soul. You see, it's really hard for us to think this because in our pride and our arrogance, we believe that everything that we're going to experience and feel and everything that's going to happen in our life is dependent on our ability, our success, our discipline, so even as we speak about joy and we say that joy is simply found in humbly submitting to God and encountering his presence, we think to ourselves, no, come on, nothing's that easy. I mean, it's got to require a lot from me, right? I mean, I have to do A, B, C, and D. I have to clean myself up a bit. I have to get these things right. I got to make these decisions then maybe God will give me some joy or something will be generated or maybe I'm just going to go do it on my own. You think to yourself, you know what, Carter, you're saying that just simply encountering God's presence is going to create a revolution of joy in my soul. I almost think that wearing a costume and skipping through the Everglades while eating a cupcake has a better chance of giving me joy than that. But it won't. And neither will anything that we think that we can do to manufacture it. As Mary sings and as David sings and as God reaffirms time and time again, joy is found in his presence. And he is the one that creates the revolution of joy. It's not our ability. It's not our doing. It's simply us encountering him and we will find that. I was thinking about this as, as Mary says that, listen, in our pride and our arrogance, if we begin to doubt the nature of God and we begin to doubt the truth that when we encounter his presence, we will find joy, that he scatters the thoughts of the proud. That is actually an act of love by God because here's what happens. It says God is saying to you and me, okay, try it. Go try your career. See if that produces joy. Try romance. Try your bank account. Try your reputation. Try whatever you want to try and see if it's going to produce joy in you. See, when God scatters the, the thoughts of the proud, it's an invitation for us to stop trying and to return back to our Savior, as Mary sings about, our Messiah, the one that has broke through into the scene of our life and is offering us a relationship with him, an encounter with him that will create a revolution of joy in our soul. That's the message of Christmas, and that's the message of Mary's song, that God broke through for you and for me, that we might encounter him, we might find the thing that our heart desires more than anything. C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. 
And what that means is that if joy is a serious business of heaven, because that's where joy is, and this is where we need to be paddling. This is where we need to be focusing. This is where we need to be fixing our eyes and our life and our heart and our actions. So I want to end with three very practical ways for us to do that. What does it mean for me to find joy? How do I do that? How do I give it to God? How do I surrender humbly? How do I encounter his presence so that I might experience what Mary is talking about, what you're speaking about, Carter, what David wrote about. The first one is this. Here's what you do. You sing. You're like, I don't sing. No, no, you sing. Mary is singing a song of joy. And it is an important part of who we are as believers is that we sing songs of joy and songs of praise to God. See, worship songs are simply prayers set to music. And it's important for us to sing. We have been made in our soul to sing. I'm not just speaking about on Sunday night that we want to encourage you to sing, but sing in your car, sing on a walk, sing while you're walking to work, sing in the shower because you don't want anyone to hear. But sing songs of worship and praise to God because it is an outpouring, it is an expression of what you claim to believe of who God is and what he's done for you, that he's broken through into your life. So sing. It's important. The second thing is to read and to pray. We cannot expect to experience the joy that is found in the presence of God if we're never encountering God's presence by having a conversation with him. How do you get to experience a friend? You spend time with them and you listen to them and then you speak to them. This is the same way in our relationship with God. He calls us friends. And how do we relate with God? How do we understand God? How do we encounter God's presence and his nature? Well, listen, we read his word, which are his words spoken to us, and then we pray, which is simply talking to God. You don't have to say the right thing. You don't have to know the certain way of doing it. You can literally just say, hey, God, what's up? Let me tell you how I'm feeling. We read his word and we speak to him in prayer. And then lastly... We prioritize Christian community. This is important. We should set our calendar Sunday night, 5 p.m. Actually, scratch that, 4.30 because it's Miami, which means you'll get here probably at 5. 5 p.m., I'm gathering together with other brothers and sisters in Christ to worship. And I'm actually going to even set up my calendar 15 minutes after to spend time talking with people and spending time with them after. Why? Because this is the right religious thing to do because I'm the pastor and I want you to be here? Yes, but no, not the reason. See, the reason is, is because God has promised us when two or more are gathered, he is uniquely present. And when we are gathered together, it is an environment for joy. It is an environment to encounter God's presence in a unique way. And when you encounter God's presence... What do you find? You find who God is. And who he is is a God of joy and of love. And so it is important to prioritize Christian community. And not just gathering on Sunday night, but, but joining a community group. Maybe you've been thinking about that. You're like, Carter, I can't. that's one other thing. I can't do that. It's important to have a time to get together throughout the week to listen to what God is speaking to other people, the questions they're asking, where they're at in their journey of faith, to share what you're going through, to pray for one another, to read God's word together. It is important because it is another environment for joy. Because remember, two or more are gathered and God is uniquely present there. 
And where God's presence is, joy is found. C.S. Lewis said that joy is a serious business of heaven, and if that is the case, then running towards heaven should be our business. Because that's where we find joy, when we paddle, when we fix, when we run, when we run together towards heaven, towards God himself and his presence. It's when we find joy. Let's pray.